Welcome to the Global Elections Podcast. I'm Jason Manchester. Democracy at the national level, as we usually understand it, is a game of political parties, with millions of voters and massive public relations campaigns. They say that all politics is local, but most people will never meet their national representative, and even fewer will have the opportunity to meet the leader of their country. The crisis of faith in democracy in the developing world can be traced to the alienation of the individual from the democratic system, because there are simply too many individuals for everyone to have their say. At least that is the case in large countries, but what about the smaller countries? Today, we visit Nauru, the world's smallest democracy. Their election happened on the 9th and results suggest a win for the government. Today we're going to discuss the history, the political system, and we'll dive into the outcome of the election. You may not have heard of Nauru, but if you have recently, it may be because of a series of unfolding scandals related to the internment of refugees by the government of Australia over the past few years. There has been a spike in the number of refugees attempting to reach Australia by sea. The migrants themselves are often Muslim, and after the September 11th attacks in the United States, anti-Muslim sentiment in Australia rose dramatically, making refugee settlement increasingly unpopular with the population. Because of this, governments in Australia from both the right-wing and left-wing parties take a hard line on refugees and have supported what is called the Pacific Solution, which is that refugees are processed offshore at locations not subject to Australian law. Under Pacific Solution policies, refugees bound for Australia by boat are intercepted on the ocean and taken not to Australia but to an internment camp elsewhere in the South Pacific. Australia currently maintains two such facilities, one on Manus Island in Papua New Guinea, which is in the process of being closed down, and the other on the island nation of Nauru. The facilities themselves have been controversial, with reports of lawlessness, sexual assault, untreated physical and mental illness, and suicide. The Australian government has responded to this by passing laws to prevent employees of these facilities from speaking with the media, with punishments of up to two years jail time. This hasn't stopped the flow of criticism in Australia, however, where the policies have become increasingly unpopular with the public. That criticism has fallen onto the government of Nauru as well, and pressure is mounted on the Nauru government to show that the refugee detention centres are safe and humane. Nauru has a parliament of 19 members elected from eight multi-member constituencies by a preferential vote ballot. Those members are technically non-partisan, but often break down along partisan lines based on whether they support or oppose the president. The president is appointed by a majority of votes in parliament. Turnout in Nauruan elections must be among the highest in the world, with the last election in 2013 getting a staggering 97% turnout of Nauru's 5,704 registered voters. That election ushered in the regime of Baron Waka and his powerful Justice Minister David Adiang. That election produced a workable majority voting for Baron Waka, with five members who were opposed to the government. This five-member opposition faced mounting problems over the course of the parliamentary session. Following charges which include speaking to foreign journalists and being disruptive in the legislature, the opposition members of parliament were suspended. In addition to that, three were arrested for staging a protest in front of parliament. One of those opposition MPs, Roland Kuhn, had his passport taken away and was prevented from leaving the island to see his New Zealand-based family. As a response, the government of New Zealand suspended foreign aid. The suspended MPs, all of whom were re-running for their parliamentary seats, are under house arrest. 
They are required to be home from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., which they say prevents them from campaigning. This, among other issues, has led the opposition to criticize the fairness of the election. Nauru MP and former President Sprint Dabwido has accused the government of stifling opposition by preventing local media from running advertisements for candidates that are opposed to the current government, and by directing police to prevent the opposition from holding political rallies. To discuss this further, we now go to an interview with Dr. John Frankel, a professor at Victoria University of Wellington. This interview was conducted before the election. Can you explain to me what's going on? Why is it that the country is having these problems with basic issues with democracy? Well, Nauru, which became independent in 1968, uh, after independence had um, uh, periods where the um, you know, one political leader pretty much dominated the political stage, but always had quite a lot of instability. But I think things really changed in a big way in 2004 when there was a, a new group of so-called visionaries that came in uh, that wanted to, uh, to reform uh, the political system and the economic system. They were very critical of uh, corruption under past administrations, and they um, tried to put together governments, but they kept getting voted in and voted out, voted in and voted out. There was a continual deadlock between the different sides and constant changes of government. And uh, uh, it culminated, however, in the last election in a government sort of representing the old guard coming into power that uh, has really tried to uh, trample all over the opposition, uh, keep the opposition MPs out of parliament on on the basis that they've talked to the international media um, and and control things much more than uh, previous administrations. And sorry, this is the administration of Baron Waka. That's right, yes. And David Yang, the justice minister, is really the power behind the throne. And they've been quite ruthless in dealing with the opposition uh, to try and remain in control. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they can survive the general election or whether the opposition can uh, use that as a basis to uh, get back in. You've written about the electoral system that Nauru uses for its elections. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we, we put an article in the Australian General of Politics about this a couple of years ago because uh, some of the MPs have been sending me the uh, data on elections ever since, I think, 2004. Uh, it's a unique system where um, it's a preferential voting system, but unlike preferential voting systems elsewhere in the world, each preference is allocated points. So a first preference is worth a single vote, a, a second preference is worth half a vote, a third preference is worth a third of the vote, and basically you just tally up all of the preferences for each candidate to work out who's got the highest, and that, that candidate wins. And it's also used in multi-member constituencies, which is uh, pretty odd. There, there's one constituency with four members, uh, um, uh, there's others with a, a lesser number. Do you feel that, um, you know, because of this system, do you think that it's more democratic, it's more responsive to the needs of the people who live there? I don't know. Some people claim that uh, these preferential voting systems make countries more democratic. I think the most I would claim about it, for, uh, in Nauru's case, is, uh, is that it it doesn't create enormous problems. You don't have high rates of invalid voting. People seem used to the system. They count it to three decimal places. It seems to work fine. Um, whether it's more or less democratic, well, well, I mean, the, the Nauru system operates in a country which doesn't have established political parties. So it's all independent candidates, so it's sort of difficult to judge how that system might work 
in a country with political parties or in a mass democracy. I'm not sure that it makes it more democratic. Actually, the political parties, I was taking a look at the list of previous parliaments. Um, they used to have political parties. Not really, no. no. I mean, they've loosely called them. They're, in the past, there have been organizations that come and go that sometimes call themselves political parties, but the uh, affinities are very fair. That's why you get continual changes of government. Uh, they don't have political parties in the normal sense of the word. Do you think that that's because the constituencies themselves are too small? Um, well, it's a, it's a common feature of um, Nauru and neighboring countries like Tuvalu and Kiribati. Um, uh, Marshall Islands have sometimes had political parties, but they come and go, and allegiances are really very fluid. Um, I remember talking to an MP in, in Kiribati, and uh, it became clear that he didn't actually know which party he was supposed to be in. <laughs> uh, um, these very small countries often don't have political parties. The analogy perhaps is with local level government in uh, some of the industrialized countries, which uh, also don't have parties at that level. It's kind of funny, but I mean, they have an enormous amount of power. Uh, you know, on the world stage in terms of international development funds and whatnot, you would think that their constituents, that the citizens, would want to have a clear idea of what policy direction they wanted to take. <clears throat> the uh, citizens of Nauru and some of these other small microstates are mainly focused on domestic politics rather than the um, uh, what, what happens on the international stage. Um, and on our personalities, uh, some of the candidates who uh, vie against each other have established local reputations, they have kinship links with their constituents, uh, and they use these uh, in, a, in an effort to get elected. And that's interesting. For elections in Nauru, you would expect that people would be elected more for personality than for the actual policies that they present. Definitely so, yes, yes, yes. You know, I mean, even the reformist governments that came to power in 2004 and in various times after that were always pretty loose-knit coalitions with uh, uh, some individuals who were prepared to change sides. So there are some people with somewhat more strongly held convictions. There are a lot of people who, are, who waver to and fro and who are elected not at all because of their policies, but because of their uh, local standing in small, close-knit communities and their kinship links. Could you tell me about the economic factors that underpin the election? Do you think that the detention center is a major issue for the voters? Yes, certainly. I think um, Nauru historically was dependent on phosphate, uh, uh, and the whole island was f mined for many years by the uh, British Phosphate Commission. The mineral was sent to develop Australian and New Zealand agriculture, but that's mainly been exhausted now. There are a few uh, bits and bobs around the island. Uh, so Nauru lost its major a source of income, uh, and the new source of income has been hosting uh, Australia's unwanted refugees, very controversially. These uh, detention centres have caused lots of difficulties on the island, but they have brought some income in. Uh, they've also ensured that the government has to operate in a different way, increasing the size of the police force. In theory, the uh, refugees can be resettled on Nauru uh, and start to take up ordinary lives on Nauru. In practice, of course, that's extremely difficult, given the fact that there's a population of only 10,000 there. There really aren't many sources of livelihoods for these refugees. There are two such detention centers, one on Nauru, the other on Manus Island, which is part of Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea, the um, courts found that 
a detention centre unconstitutional, and so they shut it down. And I think the cost that Australia has, has had to bear of uh, putting these refugees on Nauru uh, has been prohibitive. Uh, I'm not sure they will continue to pay it for much longer. In which case, of course, the Nauru economy becomes very, very troubled. Uh, there are no other sources of cash income. That impact, I mean, that's big news in Australia and globally, but how does it affect the election itself, do you think? Um, well, I'm not clear. I mean, it's not clear exactly how it will affect the election because both the opposition MPs and the government MPs want the uh, detention centres to stay. Um, in fact, one opposition MP told me a couple of years ago that no one would oppose uh, those centres because it would be political suicide. The electorate uh, desperately needs the sources of foreign exchange. Historically, now it's been a particularly rich country. I think in the 1970s, it was sometimes cited as having the highest per capita income in the world because of the um, earnings from the um, uh, phosphate industry. But since then, there's been, uh, since the, over the last 10 years, there's been a major economic uh, decline. Um, and the former prolific spending that characterized Nauru with uh, Presidents commissioning jets to go off shopping in Fiji and all sorts of curious things. Those days are well and truly gone. Now has been in a much more uh, economically precarious situation since uh, the turn of the century, really. Uh, and if it loses the detention center, that's going to eliminate a major lifeline to the economy. John Frankel is a professor of comparative politics in the School of History, Philosophy, Political Science, and International Relations at Victoria University of Wellington. He is the author of The Manipulation of Custom, From Uprising to Intervention in the Solemn Islands, and co-editor of the 2006 military takeover of Fiji, A Coup to End All Coups. He is the Pacific Islands correspondent for The Economist. As reports of this election filter in, it looks like it could be a victory for the government. Baron Waka has been re-elected along with his powerful justice minister, David Adiang. Three of the suspended opposition members have lost their seats, and Roland Kuhn, the MP who had his passport revoked, fled the country the morning after the election to New Zealand. The options for Nauru aren't great. Phosphate mining is restarted on the island, but the government will still be hamstrung by a lack of foreign currency. Problems will only increase if the new Australian government is forced to close the Nauru Refugee Detention Centre. While it may be easy for some to dismiss Nauru as a small developing country, we should remember that it had been, at one time, one of the wealthiest countries in the world per capita, and could provide a glimpse of the compromises that all countries may face if they see a generation that has less than their parents. Falling living standards are one of the surest ways to predict if a government will fail. And these compromises aren't just about economics. The refugee issues that Australia faces are not unique, and the world may begin to see other detention centres like the one on Nauru. As populist movements around the world turn governments against refugees and migrants, governments may compromise their principles while trying to remain within the boundaries of their own laws. Countries that find themselves without the resources to compete in the international market, like Nauru, may find themselves as uncomfortable third parties in the global refugee crisis. As we can see, this has deeply affected the country's democratic system. The Global Elections Podcast is produced at James Street Studios in Ottawa, Ontario, by me, Jason Manchester. This episode was written with reports from Radio New Zealand. It was also aided to a small degree by Jack Hitt's report on Nauru for the American radio program, This American Life. Thanks, of course, this week to Dr. John Frankel at the Victoria University of Wellington and to Sandra Tarte of the University of the South Pacific. You can find the Global Elections Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at, at JK Manchester, or you can follow us at 
facebook.com backslash global elections podcast. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher if you like the show. It helps people find us and makes me feel good about myself. Thanks for listening. Wind and